I was minding my own business this morning when a hacker came along and stole my data from the unsecured public network. Gee, I wish there was some way to prevent that from happening. All you need is ExpressVPN. A VPN, or virtual private network, encrypts your data so the bad guys can't steal it. Wow! Have you ever heard of dynamic pricing? What's that? Online retailers charge you more based on where you live. With ExpressVPN, you can appear anywhere you want and get the best deal. That's my favorite kind of deal. What else can ExpressVPN do for me? You can get access to streaming content that's normally blocked in your region. Could I even use it to get past restrictions on work or school networks? Yes, all you have to do is use the ExpressVPN app on your device. You can even use it on your router. That's right. Just go to expressvpn.com forward slash capital A capital C capital P for a special offer and get three months free when you sign up for one year of service. What a deal. Thanks, Thanks ExpressVPN. Express That's expressvpn.com forward slash capital ACP. It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent Ether and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on other social media platforms, such as Discord. This week's episode... Mysterious Lights. All right, we cut the dead weight this week. We only got the cream of the crop, just Agent <laughs> Ether and Agent Anderson. Poor Agent ETA says he's in the middle of a monsoon and there's like lightning and his internet's down. It doesn't sound like fun at all. Yeah, he has no internet. His house is probably on fire. I don't know, <laughs> but he couldn't make it. I don't know what Agent Kruger's doing. He's just, you know... Not here. <laughs> I'd like to say that it was a brilliant 74 degrees Fahrenheit two-day in wine country. Oh, yeah. Northern California. Man, the weather was beautiful. Beautiful. All day long. Sunny. It was wonderful. <laughs> We're going to lose fans. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. It. Okay. So, this week's episode is Mysterious Lights. And it was requested by Sky Knight 11, I believe, as... Uh, the Marfa lights and mysterious lights, but there's a ton of them. So we're going to go over a few. Uh, unfortunately, we can't make all of them in one episode because there's that many, but maybe we'll do a follow-up at some point of mysterious lights. And orbs. Anybody listening to the recorded version of this, uh, just to let you know, we usually do our live shows on Discord and we've had to shift to Tuesday evenings because of schedule conflicts and whatever. So from Fridays to Tuesdays, we usually do Tuesdays at 8 p.m. And the show is now Pacific coming out. Pacific Standard Time. Oh, yeah, Pacific, yeah. And the podcast version is now coming out uh, Tuesday mornings uh, for everybody instead of Thursday evenings. Because, so don't be sad. They're coming. Yeah, they're still coming out. It's just that uh, if we record on Tuesday night and then I only have Wednesday and Thursday to do the edits, that's probably not going to be enough time most of the time. So 
we're going to do it this way and then I'll have plenty of time to get the edits done before next week and then we'll release and record on the same day. We'll see how it works. This is tentative. We may end up changing it up a bit as we go. All right. Well, let's get into it. Mysterious Lights. You want to go first, Agent Ether, with one of yours? Sure. I have a Mysterious Light and it just has the generalized name of the Spooky Lights. Ooh. So on the border area between Oklahoma, Missouri, and Kansas, you can find this local phenomena. And I just want to mention Oakland or uh, Oklahoma again because Agent Redacted has this running joke that Oklahoma doesn't actually exist (laughs) because nobody goes there and he doesn't know anything about it. Plenty of people go to Oklahoma. I know. It's just he thinks it's funny. So my sister was out here visiting and she was actually driving all the way home to North Carolina with a friend. So she said, I will take a picture as I drive through Oklahoma So she did, but it came out blurry and dark. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) That's just now entering blur. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just like, you know, how Bigfoot doesn't really exist. And every time somebody takes a picture, it ends up being totally blurry, you know? Right. It's like that. (laughs) Which reminds me of, by the way, one of my favorite podcasts about... They do mostly cryptids, I guess, and ghosts and stuff. Is blurry photos. I just... Just such a great name for a podcast. I keep trying to get Agent Ether to listen to it because they do puns nearly every episode at the oh, end of the episode. love my puns. <laughs> but anyways, let's get on to the lights. All right. These spooky lights are located on a spooky road, Spooky Light Road, which is 11 miles southeast of Joplin, Missouri, past the town of Hornet, in an area the locals call the Devil's Promenade. The locals say if you go to Spooklight Road off the East 50th in Ottawa County, there will be four miles of gravel road where people have gone along and they've marked where they've witnessed this phenomenon. Hmm. It's also called the Ozark Spooklight, the Hornet Ghost Light, Joplin Ghost Light, Devil's Jack-O-Lantern, and the Tri-State Light. Okay. Is, it, could this be the one that's uh, the ghost light? You remember that short with Mater? I'm trying to think. Mater from... From Cars. From the movie oh, Cars. from Cars. I don't know. There's so many, like you said, there's so many... Yeah, that's true. There is. There are quite a lot that are called the ghost light or something like that. But maybe. Maybe. The, uh, let's see, the spooky lights are described as either a single ball of light or an orange fire-like ball, and it varies in size from a baseball to a basketball. But of course, that really varies depending on how close or far away you are. So do do you mean like um, a basketball? Like, do do you think witnesses mean it's literally the size of the basketball? Or do they mean that's how big it appears at a distance? It appears at a distance when they're looking at it. That's what I thought, yeah. And... That implies to me it's not coming close to them, that they're always seeing it off in the distance. Right. It appears frequently, like a lot of people have seen it. There's actually tons of what I think are legit videos on YouTube. And that's really cool because a lot of the UFO videos that you find, you're like, well, especially with CGI being so prevalent, but... These look like they might be actual witness accounts, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's the cool thing about a lot of these lights is not just the one that Ether's talking about, but many of the different cases 
you can actually see really credible looking photos and videos online. It's pretty cool. So in the ones I saw, most of them, they were pretty stationary. Sometimes they would bob around or sway side to side. People reported them rising and hovering or even spinning, spinning around. Okay. (laughs) Spinning Spinning, around. (laughs) The first official sighting was in a publication entitled The Ozark Spooklight in 1881. But here's the thing. Every website that I came across was mentioning this particular publication, and I couldn't find any trace of the actual article anywhere, Hmm. which is a shame. Uh, Same thing, there was a 1936 feature in the news story by the Kansas City Star, and I also could not find, unfortunately, any clippings or photos or anything from the publication. That's not unusual, though. I've seen that many, many times looking into things in these, in these cases. I'll see a reference to a newspaper article, but I'll be unable to find that newspaper article, even though it might be of a fairly prominent event. Well, in the Kansas City Star, I think that's a pretty widely circulated newspaper, right? Did you check their website? No, I didn't think to do that. Oftentimes, these newspapers, particularly larger publications, will have uh, backlogs and stuff. on. You can go look at on their websites, sometimes even for free. You can just go look at some, uh, you know, something from the 1800s or whatever, if the paper is still around. Well, I'll have to check that out because that would definitely be pretty cool to be able to look that up. Oftentimes, the publications are no longer around or they've been absorbed by different newspapers in which case you might have a very strange combination like really the Kansas City Star their archives are on the the Seattle you know whatever you know like i mean i'm i'm sure that's not the case but the point is is that sometimes you get strange mergers and it's hard to find what you're looking for yes that's true and but what i do know for a fact is i found a reference to the Uh, Army Corps of Engineers who came out in 1946 and spent some time setting up and using their scientific equipment to try and search for this specific phenomena. And after they didn't find anything, they declared it was, quote, a mysterious light of unknown origin, unquote. Hmm. So, so many people were reporting this and it is spooky. I don't think there's any positive connotation associated with it. So, they sent out someone official to, you know, calm the populace, and they did not. I wonder if they were concerned that it might be some sort of, um, I don't know, some sort of operations or like you see lights, if you're in the military and you'd be, okay, people are reporting lights. They're not thinking it's really ghosts or something. They're thinking it might be some sort of covert operation of some type. So maybe they thought, I mean, anything from, bootleggers to uh drug smugglers to uh uh, who knows what but you know maybe they thought there was something over there worth investigating of uh potential military value or intelligence value that they wanted to make sure wasn't a national security threat and that's why they investigated it Um, i'm wondering if that's more the case were you able to find any military reports no i was not that's something that might be worth filing a foia request over Actually, that would be a lot of fun. That would be really cool. I've never filed one before. I know. Even though they haven't, even though their investigation didn't find anything, it would still really be cool if you could find the report. 
if the report said why they were looking in the first place, because this is sort of an unusual thing for the military to be looking into. And I wouldn't think it would be super classified, so I can't imagine it being redacted. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, they would redact some things, and you might be surprised at some of the things they redact, but that's a topic for a whole other episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, other people think they are UFOs, otherworldly beings, fallen angels, and, you know, the general paranormal. Right, like ghosts or, you know, swamp gas or... Swamp gas. <laughs> this is this is the one episode you're ever going to hear on this show where swamp gas is actually a plausible explanation for some of the things people are seeing. <laughs> so some people actually say it's luminescence created by rotting organic matter. Yeah, that's swamp gas. <laughs> Reflected car lights and atmospherical electric charges, which are kind of generic explanations for any ghost-like lights. Yeah, but I think that it's entirely plausible that there are some sort of atmospheric things that we don't really understand that happen because they're so rare, they're not often observed. So it's hard to find and, you know, find them, observe them and figure out what they are. We did a whole episode on the Hesdalen lights, which are really cool. They're like these weird lights that happen in uh, in Hesdalen. And nobody knows what, as far as, at least when we did the episode, nobody had figured out exactly what they are. But that whole area has a bunch of natural, like, minerals and stuff that kind of looks like a big giant battery. So they think that that has something to do with it. Somehow it's some sort of electrical charge or something that's, you know, manifesting high up in the air for whatever reason. They don't know why it would do that, but that appears to be the most plausible explanation for that particular case. But I think for a lot of these lights, when I read through some of them, I thought to myself, this could be something like that. Maybe this area is more prone to something like ball lightning or whatever. Ball lightning. That'd be uh, something cool to witness. Yeah, that'd be awesome. As long as it didn't run over you, right? Right. (laughs) Now, legends, local legends say that one of the explanations that is uh, not scientific more supernatural, is that there were two Native Americans who were in love, but their tribes forbade them to marry because the young brave didn't have enough for a dowry. And probably this wasn't money, right? It was probably um, animals or... Did Native Americans do dowries? I don't know. That's just a local legend. That's That's a European thing, I thought. So the couple eloped, but they were pursued by their tribe and one either fell or leapt to their death at the nearby Spring River. So since then, one of the lovers has been searching for the other by lantern light, or some say they both fell and their souls are just wandering through the night. That story sounds a little familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving it like I was given it. Right, yeah, you're not you're not making this stuff up. This is just the local legend. In another story, a miner came home to find his wife and children had been spirited away by the local natives and his cabin attacked, so he ran out with with a lantern and was never seen again. So the spooky lights are the miner forever searching for his wife and children. I bet Bigfoot got him. <laughs> Maybe. And then, of course, you have to love the beheadings. The beheadings, the really? Beheadings. Okay. A local chief, beheaded by soldiers, has a lantern and is searching the night for his head. A Confederate soldier had his head blown off by a cannon, same thing, holding a lantern. And a miner was accidentally beheaded. 
I don't know how, all using a lantern to search for their heads. Hmm. Probably a nearby miner was swinging a pick or a shovel and accidentally hit him in the neck and plop, there you go, off goes his head. So I have a couple of stories I found. Okay. Okay. One is, uh, let's see, it goes like this. It was a regular tradition that our family would attend the Indian powwows on the 4th of July holiday. On one of these occasions, after we left, we were at their aunt's house right off of Spooky Light Road. As we were driving there at around 10, which according to the locals is prime time, a light came up behind us weaving back and forth across the road like a drunk. My mom insisted that we pull over and let the car pass. However, as soon as we did, the light took off across the land. Hmm, that's weird. It is weird. Um, You can kind of date the story. I didn't see a date, but I don't really, I don't know. Indian powwows, that's interesting language. <laughs> well, from what I understand, Native Americans still have powwows to no, this day. They, it's a, they do. It's but a cultural thing, you know? It is, but... Nowadays, most people don't say Indian, they say Native American, which makes me think it's a, the story is a little dated. Maybe, but I'm not sure that Indian is necessarily a bad thing to say. I don't think it's like derogatory or anything. Um, I always say Native American just because I'm not sure. I've also heard them refer to themselves as First Nations people, which I'm not sure what the correct terminology is, so... I usually default to Native American, but I'm, I, I don't get the idea that Indian is offensive, but I could be very, very wrong about that. And if I am, I apologize. I feel like you always have to be really careful when we're talking about indigenous peoples, because I would hate to offend anyone. Right. Well, I think intent is important, too. I mean, you know, if, sure. if you use the wrong word accidentally, I think most people are reasonable and will understand that. So, I have another story. Uh, this person writes that his great-uncle, Garland Middleton, actually owned the local museum there for many years. The museum is now closed down and pretty decrepit, but you can apparently drive past it to go to Spooky Light Road. And his uncle had inherited the name Spooky from the former owner. Uh, and he just goes on to talk about the corpse of engineers coming down, having seen them himself and hearing of the local legends. And then he said he's actually seen the lights. He said it split into four glowing balls, turning red, then blue, and disappearing. It'll be in front of you, then disappear, and then be behind you. It literally will go through cars. Sometimes it comes out, and sometimes it doesn't. All right. That's a a pretty spooky story. And is there any, like, plausible explanation for your lights? Oh, oh, there was. I almost skipped it. Um, no, that we went over it. That was the uh, swamp oh. gas explanation. That's, right. That's pretty much reflecting headlights from nearby cars. Yeah. Reflecting off local bodies of water or swamp gas or okay. atmospheric phenomena. Okay. Well, I mean, I think those things are possible, but some of these witness statements that you're reading about, it that definitely doesn't sound like swamp gas. I mean, who knows? I don't think that orbs flying around and following you and that sort of thing. I can't imagine how that could be car light headlights or anything like that either. Plus, it sounds like those stories have been around a while, even if they haven't been around as long as they're saying. Enough people sound like they're driving along, 
go to the road and witness it for themselves. And like I said, you'll have all those videos up on YouTube. Yeah. All right. So is that your version of this particular light? Yes. I think you should do uh, lights next and then we'll come back to my other one. All right. I have a, I have two lights to talk about, but I'll talk about one and then we'll switch off. Yes. How's that sound? Okay. I'm going to do the balding light. This is one of my favorite cases and we've done it before on this show. I talked about it briefly during part of another episode, but I like it so much. And I also figured that because we're talking about mysterious lights, I would feel like this is my favorite mysterious light. So I wanted to just mention it again. Although last time I went into a little more depth than I'm going to go into this time. So this is also known as the Lights of Paulding or the Dog Meadow Light. This one is seen in a valley outside of Paulding, Michigan, near Waters Meet off of US 45 on Robbins Pond Road slash Old US 45. I don't know where that is exactly, but that's where it's supposed to be. This particular light has been seen since the 1960s. And like many of the other lights we're talking about, People believe this one was caused by mostly by ghosts, but a few other things like swamp gas and geologic activity, just like we've spoken about already. The cool thing about this one, some of these cases are a little obscure, but the Paulding light, you can actually go and find tons and tons of pictures online and you can find videos. There's even, if you go into Google, there's like Google reviews for the Paulding lights. People have actually given it reviews. Which On a I, scale of one to five stars. Yeah, which I think is absolutely awesome. The point being that this is one of the very few things that we ever talk about on the show that you can actually go there in person and see it for yourself. If you go there probably tonight as we record this, you will be able to see it. It happens pretty regularly. Not necessarily 100% of the nights, but it's there most of the time, from what I understand. It's very, very easy to observe this particular light, which I think is pretty dang exciting. How many things have we talked about on the show where you can just go to that place and see that thing? Pretty much none of them, you know? So I think that's, that's one of the really cool things about this particular case. So the first sighting was in 1966. A group of teenagers saw it and reported it to a local sheriff. Over the years, there are different folk legends that have sprouted up to explain the light. Uh, the most common is about a ghost. A railroad brakeman was killed while attempting to stop an oncoming train from running into rail cars stopped on the tracks. There's a few other myths and legends surrounding it, such as the one where a ghost of a grandparent is looking for a grandchild, and the lantern he is using needs to be constantly relit. And this explains the intermittent nature of the light. All right, so this light can be seen from a specific vantage point. And if a friend goes to where the light is, they can't see it, but you can see the light next to them. And I saw this on the show, I believe it was UFO Hunters. They actually went out there with a camera crew and they had one person go to where the light was with a camera and the other people stayed back at the main observation area, also with a camera. And they, you could see the guy standing next to the light, but the guy recording next to the light where the light should be didn't see anything. There's nothing at all there, which is like really kind of weird, right? So that's, uh, that's really fun because they didn't, they're not just observing it from one point. They went to where it's supposed to be, you know, and it wasn't there, but they could still see it. Could both parties see it? I'm confused. Or could the person no. next to the light not see it at all? The person next to the light could not see it at all. 
Wow, that's really weird. Yeah, that's really weird. That's why this this is like a really fun case for me because it's a very strange case, but it is unfortunately explainable. No. I know. So in uh in, t- in 2010, some Michigan tech students used science to defeat the Paulding light. <laughs> they used a telescope to see that the light looked an awful lot like a car. And they were also able to see a specific adopt a highway sign. They hypothesized that an inversion layer bent the light in a way that allowed observers to see it, even though there was no direct line of sight. And that's why when you're standing in the spot where it's supposed to, where you're supposed to see the light, where it is, if you're in the spot where the light is, you can't see it. I I don't believe it. Because the light is being bent up and around, right? And you can see it even though there's no direct line of sight. And the the really cool thing about this, even though the case is solved, it's still kind of weird, right? You're talking about bending of light and you're talking about like, it's sort of, I think it like sort of bends and magnifies the light or something so that it doesn't look like car lights from a distance, but it's just still kind of, it's still kind of really fun, a really fun case for me. And even though we have a really pretty much, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent solved, but I mean, they make a damn good case, you know? Damn good case that it's car headlights, even though I think that it's still a really good example of a a fun case because it's something where the mystery was solved, but it's something that's still really strange and unusual. And even though it's solved, it's still fun and it still proves that people see strange things. In this case, it's solved, but it's still strange, you know? So it's it's fun. I just, the whole thing I just think is a lot of fun for this case. It's almost like a mirage. Yeah, exactly. It's oh, very, very have you, similar. Have you seen the mirage of the ship out on the ocean? It looks like it's floating. Uh, yeah, that's a, oh. what like a Morgana mirage Mor- or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. That's a very specific mirage. It's a very specific type of mirage where you can see something in the in the distance, and it's something that you can't see. It's like over the horizon, but a certain I think like an inversion layer or something can like magnify it. And you can see something that you might might not normally be able to see. And this is something that does cause some UFO sightings. So it's it's a good thing to be aware of. But that's a yeah, that's another thing. But those those are also very, very cool. And I think it's very similar to this. It's you know Right. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, just because it's explained doesn't make it uninteresting. Right. I I love this case. This is one of my favorite cases of all time, just because it's it's a it's a weird thing, but we have a solution. And I think that's so cool. How many of the things we talk about on here where we actually have a solution to the mystery? Like, almost none of them. I guess if there were solutions, then we wouldn't be talking about it on this show. So, <laughs> How much fun would it be if they were all solvable? Yeah, that's true, I guess. Yeah. You could have, like, a whole show where they just, like, debunk conspiracies and UFO sightings and this sort of thing. It'd be very depressing. Oh, no, they have shows like that. There are shows, there are blogs. There's not that many of them, but there are some. I know there's blogs. Are there like shows on TV? I I don't know about like, TV. I'm pretty sure there's podcasts, but the reason uh, the reason I don't really put much stock into those is because often they're incredibly lazy with their research or their solutions are absolutely ridiculous. So let me give you an ex- an example. One of the cases I did early on for this show was um the the Kelly Goblins or the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins depending on you know, it's known by both names, but there's a skeptical example or a skeptical explanation that talks about the use of alcohol, saying that these people were all drunk. Now, if you're willing to dig deep and do your research, 
you'll find that this was something that the military actually put out. The military had a couple of people, I think it was the Air Force, had a couple of people go on a radio show and say, yeah, these people were just drunk, and that's all it was. Um, and there, there's a couple, you could pick this apart and say, well, okay, how does being drunk cause that? I mean, I drink alcohol, you know, once in a while, <laughs> and I've never drinking it and seen little green men. They weren't green, by the way, but, you know, that's besides the point. <laughs> but the point here is that um, this was something that was not in the original witness statements. And in fact, the police that went and investigated specifically noted that there was no evidence of alcohol consumption on the premise. In the trash cans, nobody there seemed drunk. There was no bottles. There was no cans. There was nothing. The police report specifically says this. And you can find like newspaper articles that will cite this as being true, but it's not true. They were not drunk, probably. I mean, almost certainly. So that's just one of many, many examples where they, I can, like, I've, I've read these skeptical blogs or whatever, where I know exactly where they're getting their information because I just read that article myself and they'll get it. Usually they get their information from like newspaper articles and stuff like that. That's very, very unreliable. They almost never go to the source witness information or the source material or do any, any amount of research whatsoever. They just find any flimsy little thing that sort of kind of matches it. And that's it. That's, you know, I haven't really, I don't really talk about the skeptics anymore because I don't find their explanations are generally, generally worth exploring you know, like, for example, the Illinois 2000 case, a prominent skeptic said that, you know, people were seeing triangles as big as football fields. And he said uh, it was just the planet, planet Venus. <laughs> it's like, OK, well, no, it wasn't Venus. You could say they're lying. But to say that Venus could cause that sighting is just completely ridiculous. It usually the skeptics are so ridiculous that I don't even bother mentioning them anymore. Well, you'll like my next sighting because the explanation from the skeptic is very interesting. All right. Well, they're not always worthless. They're just usually worthless. So let's hear it. All right. I'm doing the Min Min Lights of Australia. The Min Min Lights. Are you going to do a shoey for us? No, that will not happen today. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> not happen ever. <laughs> These are also called Patty's Lights, Quinn's Lights, Will of the Wisp, jack-o'-lanterns, and ghost lights. Those last three are pretty typical for uh, these types of lights, right? I Will like Patty's them. lights. It sounds Irish. I was well. That's the thing. Patty is kind of an Irish name. I found like Patty um, uh, pubs. I found name. I found Patty Quinn as a name, but I don't know where these names come from for the actual lights. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, these stories of the mysterious lights go back past the colonization of Australia by Europeans, and the Aborigines had a number of sightings that they would describe, and it only became part of local folk folklore as Europeans ventured further into the outback, which is this sparsely inhabited, beautiful region. And I guess any inland area that's remote from a large center of population is referred to as the outback, and it's applied to semi-arid inland areas of eastern Australia to the center of the western plateau and its semi-arid northern plains where bodies of water are scattered and frequently dry. And I only mention this because a lot of times you'll refer to the outback, and to me it's just like anywhere in Australia where there's not a city and there's like crocodiles. 
And literally everything there wants we'll, to kill we'll you. We'll kill you, the yeah. spiders and snakes and that sort of thing. Even the frogs want to kill you. <laughs> when I say outback, that's what I'm thinking of. But apparently it's it's very specific, so I looked it up. Well, from what I understand, Australia... Uh, now, I could be completely wrong about this, but from what I understand, most of the people live along like the coasts, and there's a, quite a lot of land in the middle, like a, a significant amount of land. It's not like a little park or something. It's, a, it's like just this vast vast wilderness that's not heavily populated at all now i could be wrong about that again i've never been there but it's definitely i would love to go to australia it's definitely on the list but maybe not to the outback yeah oh no no go go to the city where you're not going to be murdered by insects and things so no one knows the origin of the name but it may have been a small settlement in the area where the lights were observed in 1918 by a stockman which I guess is someone who looks after cattle. And don't kill me here, but it sounds like a cowboy, like the Australian version of a cowboy. On January 25th, 1947, the Sydney Morning Herald published an eyewitness account that had been taken much earlier about an old hotel called the Min Min Hotel, and apparently it was a hot spot of crime and debauchery. And it became such a problem that the hotel would just bury the men who died in a graveyard behind it. And so it actually burnt down in 1918. And the only thing that remained was the graveyard behind it. It was then that a stockman riding his horse saw a strange glow from the middle of the cemetery. And he immediately went and reported it to the nearest police station and he's quoted as saying, I saw a strange glow appearing right in the middle of the cemetery. I looked at it amazed. The glow got bigger till it was about the size of a watermelon. I couldn't believe my eyes as I saw it hovering above the ground. And then I broke into a cold sweat for it started towards me. And he says he tried to ride away, but it, it followed him all the way to the edge of town, which was Bulia. And since then, there have been more and more sightings. Hmm. Other sightings are found everywhere across Australia, but a lot are found in Channel County. Most describe the lights as being fuzzy, and they either are football disc or melon-shaped. Most sightings are found along the Channel Country, although they've been reported everywhere across Australia. Most people describe the lights as being fuzzy, which I thought was really interesting. Could that be like a light that's obscured by the atmosphere? Like, uh, what would they call it? Like atmospheric diffraction or something where a light that's far away tends to look fuzzy because, it, you know, the as it goes through the air, the air will tend to diffract some of the light or something. Yeah, I didn't really find that it came close to anybody. So it seems like it was being viewed from far away. Okay. Because it would hover just above the horizon, and it might travel towards you. But if you tried to travel towards it, it would move away. Hmm. Interesting. And it's described as being football, melon, or disc-shaped, white, or changing color slowly like Christmas lights, white to green to red. Whoa, are you kidding me? I mean, you think of Christmas lights, right? Well, no, you know what, that's so interesting because... There were a lot of UFO sightings that have the very similar, you know, disc-shaped or football shape when seen on end and that have the red and green lights. 
like the the very first episode I did was about the Michigan swamp gas. Um, let me see. I, I believe that was in 1966. I'm double checking. Yeah, 1966. And not just that particular case or cases, but all around the United States and even the world during that year, there were a lot of people seeing football-shaped objects that had green and red lights. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. It's weird. What a coincidence, or is it? Dun, dun, dun. Do you have any sightings from 1966? Uh, No. Specifically? I have more general information. I do not have specifics, except for some anecdotal stories, but those are more recent. Oh, okay. Well, continue, please. Sure. There, uh, there's another local legend, and I think this is by the native peoples, that the morning star and the evening star are the parents of a child that fell to earth. And so every night the mother comes to earth searching in, for the child in the form of these lights. Others say they represent vengeful spirits of either the indigenous people or just settlers, people who've been in war, had some sort of fatal conflict and either way, it's implied that those lights are very scary and very negative. And some people say they're able to actually kill another person. Really? Yeah. Have there been any actual reports of them killing somebody? <laughs> no, I think I think that's just how some people view them. Others say they're very friendly spirits that are looking out for their country. Hmm. Okay. So go around and look it, out for their country. It could just be that whenever, you, if you've ever seen something unusual that can instill a sense of the unknown and it can also instill a sense of fear. You might be afraid of something that you can't immediately identify, right? So if you saw a strange light out in the distance, you might be a little wary of that light and it might make you a little afraid and maybe that's all there is to it. Maybe just people see something and they get a bad feeling about it just instinctually and that's why we have these stories about it being harmful. Okay, I actually have something about the hotel. There was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald on January of 1947. And I just wanted to read it because the way it's written is really funny. It's an interview with Bill Beatty, and he's describing the Outback Hotel as a notorious shanty. So he says, no spot on earth was lower than some of these Western shanties of the Queensland of 70-odd years ago, and the Minmin Hotel was regarded as the worst of these vicious dens. Dispensing adulterated liquor and drugs, the Minmin Hotel derived its profits, profits from the process known as lambing down unwary shearers and station hands who arrived there with, with large checks and still larger thirsts. And many of those men remained there, the fierce, doped spirits caused their death. Others were killed in wild brawls or were murdered for their money. And at the rear of the hotel site, there is still to be seen the Min Min graveyard where these victims were buried. Hmm. I should have said that earlier, but I just love that description. <laughs> I kind of want to go there. <laughs> uh, or, But do you? Right. We have to bring our ghost meter. From a distance. It totally works, by the way, the ghost meter. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's pretty much what I have on the Min Min Lights, except I mentioned there was a very interesting explanation. So one Jack Pettigrew says they are essentially bioluminescent bugs that have been contaminated 
by the agent found in local fungi. Hmm. So I guess the bugs get on the mushrooms and then they swarm together. And that's what the lights are. Um. <laughs> this guy's legit though. Well, he, he's passed now, but he was a neuroscientist. He was a professor of physiology and the director at the Vis- Vision, Touch, and Hearing Research Center at the University of Queensland. And he was even awarded some sort of medal in 2001 for service to society and science. So um, a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, those, so he didn't know anything about bugs, though. Because that's a very specific field. I don't know. But uh, it was just it struck me as a very interesting explanation. That, that does sound like a plausible explanation that could actually explain some of those sightings, right? I suppose. Some of them, not all of them. Right. But here's the thing, though. I've read a lot of explama- explanations by people with fancy degrees about things they don't know anything about. Just because you have a degree in neuroscience doesn't know you know anything about, I don't know, how to read a radar or something. You know what I mean? So just because you're credentialed up to the gills and you're a very smart person doesn't mean you know everything about everything. No, that's true. I just, I wanted to mention it because I've never heard anything like it before. That's a pretty, that's actually a pretty cool explanation. <laughs> that's fun. That's a fun explanation. I don't, right. I don't hate that explanation. And then I have a couple of stories from people who have witnessed said lights. I have one June Quinn who worked as a nurse in the Northern Territories in the 60s. She was on call uh, for ambulance duties two to three times a week. Most of her call-outs were after dark and could last as long as eight hours. And she said she saw the lights on many, many uh, occasions, and they were investigated, but nothing ever came out of them. The lights would follow the ambulance and travel at the same speed. And if she slowed down, the lights would slow down. And if she put her foot down, it would do the same. It would speed up. So she said she was driving once and she looked out to the left of the ambulance and she saw the lights traveling the same speed. And if she slowed down, the lights would also slow down. If she put her foot down, they would speed up. On one occasion, a man was admitted to the hospital with a fraction of his femur. He was not an Aussie, she said. And when he saw them for the first time, he said he was uh, driving a little mini moke, which might be like a motorcycle. A mini moke? Yeah. That sounds about right. Mini yeah. moke? Yeah. Anyways, he was trying to get away from the lights and he rolled it over. Hmm. So if he rolled it over, that suggests maybe it's not a motorcycle, but maybe more of like a small vehicle. Small vehicle. Like a, a like a, what we, we have. Like my dad has something for driving around the sand. He calls, I think it's called a razor or like kind of like a dune buggy kind of a thing. Maybe. Well, you got S- your like Google that. machine right there. Look it up. Okay. Look I, up I mini, guess. mini moke. Mini moke. And anyway, she concludes her story with saying, yes, they do exist. Mini moke. Oh yeah. It looks like a little uh, golf cart or Jeep type deal. I don't care. I don't know what he's doing driving around in a. And a golf cart at night, but alrighty then. The Mini Moke is a small front-wheel drive utility and recreational convertible manufactured and marketed originally by British Motor Corporation and subsequently marked under the Austin, Morris, and Leyland brands. Alright then. There you go. Okay. And my second story comes from a website 
entitled Real Ghost Stories, Paranormal Category, Orbs, Lights, Mists in Australia. Wait, wait, it's called Real Ghost Stories? Yes. All right. Now, in my opinion, if you have to say that something's real... (laughs) That's the that's, new, like, that's the whole website that I don't know. That's like calling a dealership the honest car dealership. If you have to point out to people that you're honest, you're probably not honest. Anyways, just saying. People would submit their ghost stories to this website, and so someone by the name of Kyle had this to say: "In my opinion, it's the most frightening experience ever yet. Around the Boolia region in southwest Queensland, these mysterious orbs." Roam the countryside, scaring cattlemen, causing major accidents to drivers and truckies. My experience goes like this. I was driving in, oh dear, in a min, in a minka, which is not so far from Bulia, to Bulia and up to a place called Mount Isa when I noticed a pair of headlights tailgating behind me. It was getting really annoying, and after five minutes, I was begging him or her to overtake, but he or she wouldn't. So I decided to slow down to piss him or her off. Then all of a sudden, the so-called headlights turned out to be these Min-Min lights. I stopped the car, hearing the screech of the tires behind me as the lights flew around the car. I was searching for my camera to take a photo when one of the lights got closer to my car. It hovered closer and closer, almost blinding me. Then it just dissolved as the dawn was coming up. I never want to go back there, and I'm sure you won't as soon as you've seen the Min Min lights. That sounds like a lot, awful lot of UFO encounters I've read about. Where, it actually does, yeah. Where somebody will see that, and often they'll have missing time, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's some where they ended up being put back in their car, going the opposite direction that they were originally traveling, and just all kinds of crazy stuff, but... I don't know about no Min Min lights, but that that definitely sounds familiar. You know, in in general, Australia's kind of spooky, and not just because of its outback and creatures who want to kill you, but I mean, we could do a whole episode about haunted places in Australia. Oh, I'm sure we could do many episodes about that. There's like the Monte Cristo homestead, beautiful place, and it's said to have up to ten ghosts. There's a couple of insane asylums, and I read it one, 9,000 patients had died. Hmm. 9,000, and it's 128 years of operation. And there's also uh, tunnels and caves and a haunted train. A haunted train, a haunted you say? train. So, like, I was like, man, let's do a whole episode of just haunted places in Australia. Well, man, we got to go visit this haunted train in person. <laughs> you like that one, huh? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to visit the insane asylum. That'd be kind of nah, gruesome. That might be kind of depressing, you know, because one just, ghost is okay, but you know. nine thousand, not so much. Right? Yeah. All right, and that's that's what I have. Okay, sweet. All right, my last one to finish us up here is the original requested one because uh, I think it was Sky Night Eleven. I said requested uh, the Marfa lights and other lights. So, of course, I had to include the Marfa lights. This one comes from Marfa, Texas, and it's also known as the ghost lights. The original <laughs> ghost lights? I, I don't know about that, but it's they call it the ghost lights, and you know it seems like all of them are called the ghost lights, so I'm not sure if that really means anything. It's a, a little more mysterious than the Paulding light, Skeptics claim that the Marfa lights are caused by car headlights, just like the Paulding light, 
But the big difference here is that these lights were first reported in 1883. The history of automobiles goes back quite a ways if you want to include like steam powered vehicles and stuff like that. But it wasn't until the Ford Model T in 1908 that they were widely available. Before then, there were some, you know, some car like things that were sort of manufactured. Uh, you know, they build one or two or something, but it wasn't until 1908 that they were available to everybody. Robert Reed Ellison, a cowboy, saw a flickering light in the distance as he drove cattle through the Paisano Pass. Paisano? Paisano? P-A-I-S-A-N-O? Is that Paisano? Paisano. Paisano? Say it really fast and nobody will know. Paisano. Nobody, yeah, that I'm saying. Okay, Paisano Pass. There you go. <laughs> At first, he thought it might be a campfire, but uh, maybe perhaps built by um, the local Apache Indians or Apache Native Americans. There we go. I don't know. Hey, it said Indians on Wikipedia. So. I know. It says it everywhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably safe. I don't know. He spoke with other people in the area, and they said that they had seen the lights also, and they had investigated, but they had never found any evidence of campfires or anything like that, like no ashes or wood or anything like that left behind. And that's if they if they were seeing these things regularly and there were campfires in the distance, they would be able to find them and they would find evidence of the campfires. And I would imagine that they would go looking for evidence of campfires because if there were people in the area who they weren't friendly with, you would probably want to keep tabs on those people because they may eventually become a threat to you. I'm I'm guessing why that's why they would go looking for campfires, but they never found any. There have been many sightings. Over the years of these lights, in 2004, students from the University of Texas at Dallas investigated. They did some experiments over several days, various types of experiments. They found that parking a car on Highway 67 and turning on and off headlamps, they were able to see these the lights turning on and off, and it looked like the famous ghost lights. And while they were doing this, a car actually passed them, and it looked like one ghost light was passing another from the observation area. So I guess they have a specific area to observe these ghost lights. So they're very common as well in this area. They saw this in only one direction, to the southwest, towards the, hi- towards the highway. So is this one solved as well? Is, this also, is it just cars, just like the Paulding light? I'm not as convinced that cars can explain all of the sightings especially the ones that happened before cars were even a thing. But looking at some of the witness descriptions over the years and at some of the pictures available online, I think it's entirely possible that there are several different causes for the Marfa lights. Cars certainly seem to account for some of the sightings, but not all of them. There are other sightings that may be some sort of natural phenomena, such as, I don't know, ball lightning or something like that. We talked about that a little bit earlier in the episode. And if you look at like the descriptions of the sightings, but particularly the pictures, there are plenty of pictures available online for the Marfa lights. And those, those pictures are definitely not cars. Now, maybe some of them are Photoshopped. I don't know. But just as Ether was saying for her first case, a lot of these photos, they seem like actual real photographs. If they're Photoshops, they're really good Photoshops. They, they seem very convincing to me. But in any case, I think that while some of these Marfa lights are cars, I think some of them are probably natural phenomena or who knows, maybe even ghosts. 
Now, this one is, there's, you know, as all these other ones, there are plenty of local legends and whatnots to go around, but um, I had been hoping that other agents were going to join us, so I didn't go into too much depth for the Marfa Lights, <laughs> but, but there you have it. That's the Marfa Lights. <laughs> if I had known that, um, that other people weren't going to show up on the episode, then I would have taken more notes, so apologies for that, but uh, I didn't, and they didn't, so there you have it. That's, uh, that's all I got on the Marfa Lights. I think I think you did a great job. Oh, oh, thank you, Agent Ether. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about all we got for this week's episode. So, do we have any listeners left in the audience? You want to oh, give a yeah. shout we got, out? We got a few. We got a few people left. There were some people who came and went throughout the show, but this week we have left at the end. We got Mister Punk, Cringe Lord, Donut Slayer, and CR zero five. Cross? Is that supposed to be like a elite speak of cross? I'm not sure. Maybe let us know in the Discord chat. Alright, so um is that is that all you got for the uh the lights, Agent Ether? That's my story. Alright. Well, guess what? You too can have your very own orb. <laughs> <laughs> There's like these little uh remote control things or whatever, and it supposedly hovers over your hand or something. Um, I haven't tried one out, and Adrian, Agent Ether won't let me because no, he says every single thing. <laughs> every, He's like, "This is so cool, let's get it," and then we have it, and it's like sitting on our table. Yeah. Well, no, actually, that UFO speaker, I use that thing every day. That's so true. That That's thing true. is that thing is awesome. But uh, yeah, so yeah, check out these orbs. They're um, little RC orb type deals that float above your hand or something. There's a whole bunch of different types of them, so just check out the link. And it's an affiliate link, so your purchase helps us support the show, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by giving us a good review wherever you listening. Wherever you listening, do it again. <laughs> you do it again. Okay. All right. Go ahead. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by leaving a review to wherever you listen, and suggesting the show to your friends. Keep it strange.